It's awesome to be with you guys this morning. I, uh, my name's Tony. I have the privilege of serving here as pastor. I was reflecting uh, yesterday just on like the last two years, right? We did a church plant in this place about two years ago. And I was just reflecting on like how grateful we are just, and I am just for, for you. Uh, and just how amazing it is and what a privilege it is to be here in this place with you. I was just trying to, I was going back to about two years ago and I was just dreaming. I was remembering of the dreams I had of this place and what it could be. And this is what I imagine. Um, it's just such a gift to be a part of that. So just so grateful to be able to share it with you. Um, now, to procedure. If you are a little kid and you want to hang out with uh, Miss Jeannie back there and hang out with some other kids, I know she would love to hang out with you. So feel free to join her. It's good to have you. I know a lot of our families are out gallivanting. I think Monterey's break is just happening. So, you know, families are all over the world at the moment. So uh, what we're going to do today, so for the last basically 18 months, we've been traveling through the Gospel of John. We've been leaning into, what? who is Jesus? What does it look like to trust him? And what we're doing now is we're moving from this idea of who is Jesus to what does it look like to follow him? So last week, we did our introductory message of this series, uh, and we read and went through Matthew 11. And this is how it reads. Says, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Eugene Peterson has this great translation of uh, verse 29. He says this, Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. So this is the, the idea of a yoke. And then he has this line, learn the unforced rhythms of grace, which is where we get the title of this series, right? That following Jesus is about learning from him, accepting his yoke. It is not us about being the heroes of our own journey. It is about us letting go, right? Unforced. It is not about us ramping up and trying harder and trying harder and trying harder. It is about us letting go and allowing Jesus to train us. Right? And that through that process, as we adopt Jesus' rhythms, we experience the transforming grace of God that transforms us from the inside out. Now, in my experience, and this is kind of went over last week, but I figured it would be helpful to say one more time, just as we lean into this series. I think there's generally four ways that we lean into Jesus' training um, in modern culture. The first is sort of not so much. And what I mean is this, life is overwhelming, Right? We feel like the complexity of modern life is so debilitating and paralyzing that we're just like, dude, I'm barely surviving. And you're telling me I need now to do things? Right? Not so much. But the problem with not so much is Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me, take my yoke upon you, and what? You'll experience rest. So the very rest we're looking for is the very rest we don't find because we don't adopt the rhythms and practices that Jesus say will lead to rest. Or... We do too much too quickly, right? And this is sort of paralleled in gym life, right? So I have a friend who's a personal trainer and he says this, the first two weeks of gym membership in the United States are like skyrocket, right? People are like, they get up at 4 a.m. It's dark out. They're drooling and rolling out of bed, like trying to get to the gym. Then they work out for like three hours 
right? And they come home and they rock it for two weeks. And then they're like, I'm so done. I'm never doing this again. Right? And then they don't go to the gym the rest of the year. This is sort of like normal gym culture. And I do th- we do this with Jesus all the time. We hear a good sermon, a podcast, we read this book, and we're all in. And we're like, I'm going to pray for three hours every morning. I am going to love every enemy that I meet. And then we're burnt out and exhausted. And we're like, well, that didn't work. Right? But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, hey, try harder. Push hard for two weeks. He's trying to give us sustainable rhythms right? That are not forced. They're not a ramping up. They're a letting go into the invitation of God, right? And it's through that we experience God's transforming grace. Or we do maybe too much of the same thing, right? This is also mirrored in gym life, right? So this is maybe you, maybe me. You show up to the gym and you do the same five machines for 10 years and you wonder, why am I not getting stronger? You know, I feel like I'm, 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 I'm faithful. I'm showing up. The problem is our muscles need variety, right, in order to grow. And often we do the same spiritual practices regardless of season of life, regardless of context. And in different seasons, sometimes we need different ways of practicing the way of Jesus, which brings us to way four. This was my best attempt at a definition of Jesus' training. It's this. A relationally engaged process, right? This is a relational process with God of letting go, right? Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, of letting go, learning from Jesus over the long haul. This isn't about tomorrow or next week. This is about adopting the way of Jesus so that in 10 years, in 20 years, you're more in love with Jesus than you are today. Your heart is more shaped. Your life is more shaped for the kingdom than it is today. That dynamically adapts based on God's gracious will and invitation right? Your circumstances change, your life changes. And Jesus knows what you need. And he invites you to try new things on in different seasons so that you have what you need to complete this long journey, not the sprint. That's what we're leaning into this series. And what we're doing is we're looking at various practices, rhythms, and habits of Jesus that are a means of experiences, experiencing his transforming grace. So in October, we're going to go through these four. We're going to go through Sabbath and solitude today, right? That's attend, uh, faithful presence, bless, scripture reading, learn, and community, which is eat, right? Which goes with our ABLE acronym. So each week this month, we're going to go through one of these disciplines. In November, we'll go through four more, right? And if you go on our website, we have a thing called the ABLE Project, which has reflection questions. It has little podcasts. It has experiments that you can then sort of lean into between these messages. All right, so today, today we are going to talk about Sabbath and solitude. Now, I want us to do, before we even hear from me, I want to sort of, I want you to chat with the person next to you, or if there's a a third wheel next to you, include them in. All right, so if you had one day, if you had one day, and you could pray and play for that day, what would you do? You have a day to do anything you want, but the two parameters is that you pray and play on that day. What would you do? Turn to either the group next to you or form a little huddle. Talk to them. What would you do if you had one day? Unlimited money, unlimited restrictions.
All right, if you, ha if you haven't switched yet, make sure to switch. I sense some people wanting to leave and now pray and play. So stay here for a minute. I can't let this go on for too much longer. There's too much excitement in the room. So for me, if I had a day to pray and play, the first thing I would do is I would go to the mountains. Now around here, it takes too long to drive to the mountains. So I'd probably go into the hills. Uh, but if, if I had a day, that's what I would do. Uh, something happens to me when I go into the mountains. I, I find that I slow down. I find that I connect to God on some level that doesn't even totally make sense to me, but I come back and I like actually like people more than when I left. Um, and I find myself more relaxed. I find myself more ready to be and do sort of what God might have me do uh, in everyday life. I would like to hear, though, from you quickly. Like, I heard one person say cooking, that they would, like, just, like, do a mammoth cooking session. What about you? Any, anyone else? Can, is anyone brave enough to shout it out? Cooking? All right. I want to go to your house. Yeah. Huh? Bath. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You and I are made of the same cloth. Anyone else? Sit on the rocks and watch the ocean. Not bad. Yeah. What was it? Fishing, redwoods, a lot of nature. Okay. Ah, that's good. We'll get into that in a minute. I like that. Yeah, sort of a, a way that you could just be without feeling the obligations and the responsibilities of daily life. Yeah. Now, I think one of the reasons I like going to the mountains is because I'm introverted enough that if I don't, if I'm not away from people, I just get exhausted by people and then I get grumpy. Um, so I need time away to connect with God. So I think some of that for me is temperamental, but I actually think there are other reasons why rest is so important. I think it's actually woven into the very fabric of the way God designed all of creation. Now, to get improved to this point, to sort of lean into this, I want to go back to the first page of the Bible, All right? So we're dealing with the story of creation, All right? So nothing exists except for God, and God actually makes a space outside of himself that he calls creation. He brings things into being, All right? He, he makes light and dark. He makes the heavens and the earth. Uh, he makes creepy things and flying things. And on day six, he makes cows and us. And... Um, all right, and then on day seven, he rests. On day seven, he rests. And he doesn't rest because he's tired. He doesn't rest just like, man, that was a lot of work. You know, I need a day off. Right? He rests because all creatures need a time to rest. And he invites all of creation and the creatures included to rest with him. And the dominant theme of Genesis 1 is that the all things are made by a creator. All things are made by a creator. And that all of creation is a gift of God. 
And it's not just a one-time gift like you did this long ago, but actually the very breath you breathe right now is because the grace of God allows all things to still have being and presence and life. The fact that the sun rose this morning is a gift of the grace of God. The food you ate, the fact that you could get to this place, all things exist and continue to live because of the grace and provision of God. That is what Genesis 1 tells us that every moment is a gift of the creator and that you and me, we are not the creator. We are creatures utterly, utterly dependent on the grace and mercy of God. That is how Genesis 1 starts. Now you might think, okay, that's great. Like, yeah, they rested on the first day. Okay, check, I get it. Let's move on. Fair. What is the first thing when God forms his people, right? His people are trapped in slavery in Egypt, right? With the Exodus. What does he do? He frees them from slavery. And then he says, you know what? I'm going to teach you guys how to live with me. And he takes some way, I don't know if he does it with a fingernail or some sort of tool, but right, etches in stone these commandments. One of which is, hey, you're going to take a day each week and you're going to rest, right? As a people freed from slavery, where they never had a moment to rest. Now as God's people, hey, remember, I am the creator. You are the creature. You need to rest, right? And then he gives them some words to live by. And he says this in Exodus 28 through 11, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or your maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So as God forms his people, right, that are meant to be his presence in the world, what does he do? He says, hey, guess what, guys? As a definitive reminder of your finitude and your creatureliness, I want you every week to rest so that you remember who is God and who is not, who is creator and who is creature. Because we know it's easy to forget. We carry all these burdens and responsibilities in life. I mean, raise your hand right now if you feel like, you know what, I have a lot of burdens and responsibilities in my life and I have a hard time juggling them all. A couple of us. We we relate to this pressure, this push away from rest to busyness and hurry and over-responsibility and a sense of being burdened. We relate to this. Right? It's one of the reasons actually the people of God go into exile is because they do not keep the Sabbath. They do not remember that they are creatures and that God is the creator of all things. They forget this. They think, well, I have a lot of things I need to do. And they go about it. Now, as followers of Jesus, people that are trying to practice the way of Jesus, we might think, well, that's great. Like, I'm glad you looked at the first half of the book. Can we look at the second half, right? So the Hebrew Bible, the the Hebrew people, they do those things. But, you know, we know that when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, not everything's translates. So how do we, like, make that jump in that transition? And if you're a student of the Gospels, you know that Jesus has a fair amount of conflict in the first century with the ruling leaders around this idea of the Sabbath. 
So how do we make sense of that? First, let's look a little bit at historical context. So one of the things that's happening in the first century is you have this massive pressure of Greco-Roman society, right? So there's this huge pressure away from the people of God being faithful to Yahweh, and there's this push towards maybe we should be more like the powers that be in the world, right? The Greeks and the Romans. You'll even see there's spots that pop up in ancient Israel. These, this is a good example of sort of the, the pressure they feel. You have these gymnasiums that pop up in ancient Israel. And if you're at all familiar with gymnasiums in Greek and Greek culture, right, the men, they would wrestle naked. Now, that's just not a random anecdote. There's a reason for this. If you are a Jewish boy, part of belonging to the Hebrew people is you get circumcised. The pressure is so great in the first century that boys are getting a surgical procedure called an epispasm, which is a reverse circumcision procedure. And this isn't at CHOMP, right? There is so much pressure happening, right, that these boys, because they want to participate in their culture of their day, they're having this super delicate, pretty intense surgery to reverse their circumcision so that when they go and wrestle with the other cool Greco-Roman kids, no one knows whose they are. So in this moment, what do you do? You have this sort of sense of like, well, we got to do something. So what happens is there's this profound focus on external boundaries of belonging. So what happens, right? They focus on circumcision. They focus on eating habits. They focus on Sabbath as a way of saying, hey, this is what it means to participate. So you see this in the New Testament. There's this profound push towards, hey, are you eating with your hands washed? Let's be careful here. Right? Are you doing all the Sabbath procedures, right? So in the first century, there's 39 categories of things you cannot do on the Sabbath, and then hundreds of subcategories that flow out of that related to, uh, you can't tie a knot, just so you know, on the Sabbath. And certainly no lighting fires. Uh, don't thresh or plow or do any kind of real work, right? And there's all these subcategories. And one of the things they say is you cannot heal on the Sabbath, right? And Jesus pushes hard against this. His iconic statement about the Sabbath is in Mark 2, 27. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? And there's this feel in the first century. It's like, oh, I have to do all these rules. And it's really about, hey, if I don't do what the Sabbath is telling me, regardless of whether it actually helps me or not, like I'm in trouble. I'm outside. I don't belong. And Jesus pushes against that. He said, no, 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 actually, the Sabbath was made for man. And why was the Sabbath made for man? Because man is a creature that needs rest. The Sabbath was made for man because man is a creature, not a creator. And then if you always live on this unceasing treadmill of productivity, as a creature, you will burn out and you will lose touch with who God is. Hey, the Sabbath was made for man so that you could thrive and reconnect with the creator. And it's about making space as limited creatures for God. Come to me, all who are wearied and burdened, and I will give you rest. With this in mind, it shouldn't be surprising to us that as a regular habit and rhythm, in the midst of crazy demand, imagine Jesus' life. Everywhere he goes, Hundreds of people show up saying, help me. 
and the ability to help every one of those people. So not only do hundreds, thousands of people follow you wherever you go, but you can help every single one of them. In the midst of that profound need and profound opportunity, Luke writes this, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. This is a practice, a rhythm, a habit. This is something Jesus did all the time. And what does he do? He withdraws. He takes a step away from the cultural moment he's in, the demand and the opportunity, the burden and responsibilities. He withdraws from it. And where does he go? He goes to a lonely place. What's in a lonely place? There's no obligations, burdens. There's not everyone telling you these are all the things you have to get done. And what does he do? He prays. He connects with the creator as a creature and reminds himself whose he is. This just isn't just one verse, right? Mark 1.35 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He does it in the morning. He gets up before everyone else. And he goes and connects with God because he knows in the dark, solitary moment, all he has is God. There are no burdens. There are no responsibilities in that moment. He just gets to be with God. And he does it at night too. Luke 6, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. Jesus does it all the time. He does it sometimes in the morning. He does it sometimes at night. There's this one story where his disciples are getting in a boat and he dismisses them. He leaves them and he says, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. For Jesus, withdrawing from the crazy, the busy, is not a mark of spiritual superiority. It is a habit and a rhythm that he uses to reconnect with God in the demands of everyday life. Now, I think I could keep going for a bit on this. Certainly can. There's a lot of material. But I want to transition a little bit into our lives. This is my experience. If you are, let's say, in high school, middle school, high school, maybe you even feel this. You feel these pressures, right? There's this thing called FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. There's all these things you could do, right? If you're at CSUMB, if you're in college, if you're in high school, you feel like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I could do. And the pressure is to try and do them all. And so what you find often, that Barna did a study recently, that 18 to 23-year-olds, 60% of them feel very stressed out and anxious because there's so much to do and so little time to do it. So you try and do everything and you get stressed. Now, this doesn't really get much better, right? Because then maybe you get married, maybe you have kids. I remember a season of life when Jeannie and I, our kids didn't sleep very much at night and we would look at each other in bed and we wouldn't even say goodnight to each other. We would just look at each other and be like, Good luck, you know, because you're not even sleeping, you know, you're like walking zombies trying to make it through the day. And then it doesn't even change when your kids get older. You're like, they're sleeping through this night. It's awesome. But then you're Uber driver parent and you're going from one tournament to another, from one thing to the next. And it's just like, oh, and then there's homework, right? So now you're waking up, send your kids off, going to work, getting home, trying to help with homework, taking them on a shuttle drive. And by the time you get in bed, you're just like, all right, you ready for tomorrow? And then you think, oh, all I have to do is 
I have to be retired. Like once I'm retired, I'm golden. But both my parents are retired. And if you ask them, they'll tell you this. It is the busiest time of their entire life. Right? Because now you're having to care for grandkids. All the things you deferred from before, now you're trying to cram in. And it becomes exhausting. There's this funny thing in our cultural moment, too. If you ask someone, hey, how are you doing today? What's life like? They're like, busy. I mean, literally, when was the last time you asked someone and they said, I'm just kind of bored? I'll do it to people every once so often because they have no idea how to respond. Like, <laughs> wait, what just happened? You know? And we actually use busyness as a mark of, of sort of like a, of specialness. Right? Busyness now becomes a mark of like, yep, I'm busy. You know, I'm not one of those bored people. I got lots to do. People are busy. And we almost use it as sort of a, a mark of belonging, a badge of significance. A few months ago, I read this about this conversation that John Ortberg, who's a pastor up in Menlo, uh, had with this guy named Dallas Willard, who at the time was the head of USC's philosophy department. John was living in Chicago at the time. He was at Willow Creek and he had, you know, like you and me, he had a lot of things on his plate, right? He had, he had kids, he had job, he had marriage, he had all these burdens and responsibilities he was trying to juggle. And so he thought, you know, I'm going to talk with a spiritual mentor of mine, this guy named Dallas Willard, who was a very sort of, I don't know, famous kind of spiritual formation advisor, coach, counselor. And he's like, all right, I got 60 minutes. Dallas, what do I need? I just need to cram as much into this conversation as I can. Dallas is famous for these moments of long pause. So he sort of takes this long pause. John's like, you know, what should I do? And he said this, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. John writes it down. He's eager. He's like, all right, 59 more minutes. Give me the gems. You know, I'm ready. So Dallas, what else do I need to do? Long pause. There is nothing else. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, what? There is nothing else? Like, come on, there's all kinds of other things, you know? And I started to let it sort of sink in a little bit. There is nothing else. Because what happens when you're hurried and busy? You do the one, you miss out on the one thing that is the most important. Right? What do rhythms of withdrawal, what do rhythms of Sabbath and solitude do? They allow us to step out of the crazy and reconnect with God. So what happens is when your life is driven by the crazy, by the busy, you miss out on the most important thing, which is actually being with God, who is the grace of your life, who is the source of your rest and your peace. So there is nothing else if we missed out on the most important thing. Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Ruthie Lee Barton has this um, analogy she uses. She's a, a teacher and a writer. She says this, our life is kind of like a jar filled with all kinds of stuff. 
in our daily rhythms, practices, whatever, just the normal everyday life is like shaking that jar, right? And everything gets, have you ever seen that? You know, the jar gets all shaken and filled with the dirt. Patterns of solitude and silence and Sabbath are like setting the jar down and allowing things to settle. So you actually know what's going on. And this is actually supported by brain research. So out of USC, there's a lot of research happening about sort of how does the brain work, right? And there's two primary ways the brain works. One is sort of the brain is able to focus on present activities, helps you to like do this project, do that thing, accomplish, right? But one of the things that brain scientists are realizing right now is there's a whole other way the brain processes. And it's called the DMN, the default mode network. And it's a massively important part of how your brain functions. And as long as you're engaging the prefrontal cortex and focused on all the things going on in front of you and you're sort of jumping from one thing to the next, your brain actually has a very hard time digesting all that information and making sense of it. The default mode network is when you rest. You go for a walk. You stop trying to produce things. You stop running by obligation. And you just slow down and rest. And guess what happens? Your brain is now able to process on sort of an indirect way all the different stuff that happened the fight you got in with that coworker and why that happened, what you really care about in your life, what your relationship was like with Jesus, what your heart is like, what you're feeling. And without actually engaging, slowing down and entering into the default mode network, we cannot process and make meaning of all the information we take in in everyday life. Right? Brings us back to Genesis 1. We are made as creatures. Creatures need rest. God made us and he made our brains and he knows that our brains need space to process and understand what's actually going on inside of us, not just so we can use our brains to produce in the world. Now, at this point in this message, you, my guesses are like, okay, I get it, right? Like we're supposed to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus does this. This is probably good for me. And then sort of there's this like, but in the back, you know, like, but and I think there's two major buts I want to address. One is this. So when I take time to slow down, it's not restful. I experience anxiety. Right? I, I, I don't know what to do with myself. And I want to say two things. One is this. One Doing nothing or resting is not like just sitting and saying ohm on a cliff by the beach, right? Like you can actually do something. Sometimes I think like going for a walk for me is super helpful. Like I can actually relax better if I'm moving my body. And part of that's because I sit at a desk a lot of the time. You know, sometimes I find weeding, which is quasi-productive, to be crazy helpful if my goal is not just to get all the weeds out of the garden, but to actually have it be a meditative process of connection with God. And when I worked at the group homes, right? So this was a group home for teenage uh, addicts. I noticed that when they went from a place of addiction to trying to rest, it was incredibly hard for them because they were so used to getting their needs, uh, their comforts, experiencing rest through drugs and alcohol. And then when you remove drugs and alcohol, they started panicking. And I think we do a lot of the same thing. I think actually our unwillingness and the anxiety we experience is often the backside of addiction. 
that we move so fast, we do so much that we actually don't know how to slow down because we've gotten our needs met through so many other things other than God. And when we actually try and slow down and be with Jesus, we don't know how to find rest in him. Augustine said this, our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. The true rest is actually found when we slow down and learn to rest in Jesus. But for some of us, that's going to take practice because we've learned other ways of finding quasi-rest through other things. Second is this. I think some of us are like, that sounds great. You know, if I had the luxury of rest, I would rest. Believe me. But there's a lot of necessities that you feel. Obligations from parenting to work to any number of things, you know? You have this really mean professor at your college who's just like driving you and you feel like, man, I can never stop. Or maybe you're in ministry and you feel like, man, the needs are so great. How could I ever take a break? I want to read you a quote. This is by A.J. Swoboda. He says this, Sabbath is God's eternal way of helping us worship our good God and not worship the good work he has given us to do. I'm going to read it again. I just want you to take it in. It won't be projected. Sabbath is God's eternal way of helping us worship our good God and not worship the good work he has given us to do. I think one of the things we do all the time in modern life is we worship secondary things. We worship the things that God has given us to do, and we forget that we're not the creator of the universe. God is. And if we actually want to experience rest, we have to slow down in him. All right, so let's get into like, okay, the so what of like, what do I actually do? Like, thanks, Tony. Uh, what, what do we actually do here? I think two things in particular I would say. One is this. I think we need daily rhythms of withdrawal and return. Right? So this could be in the morning or the evening, having a space in your day when you withdraw from the busy, the crazy, the hectic, and just remind yourself in the presence of God, ah, you are God and I am not. The world does not hinge on my productivity. It hinges on your grace. We need daily pockets, daily reminders, daily liturgies that remind us of who we are and who God is. And I think if you can, I think a weekly reminder is helpful too that maybe is longer. If you're like me, 20 minutes is great. Four hours, I'm just starting to actually enjoy the process because it takes a long time for us to slow down and be with God. Before we get to this, I'm gonna go back to our initial conversation of praying and playing. Eugene Peterson writes this. One of the ways God has provided for us to stay aware of and responsive to him as the determining and centering reality of our lives in a world that doesn't care about this is Sabbath keeping. At regular intervals, we all need to quit our work and contemplate his. Quit talking to each other and listen to him. God knows we need this and has given us a means in Sabbath a day for praying and playing and simply enjoying what he is. I just would invite you to go back to that first conversation you had of what you would do if you could pray and play. And maybe that's the next thing. It's figuring out, all right, how do I, how do I lean into that a little bit? 
What would it look like for you to pray and play with God so that you're reminded that you are a creature and he is creator? Right, so that you could actually experience the rest that Jesus offers. Now, from an experiment side, uh, one of the things we've done with the ABLE project is online, you'll be able to see we have PDFs that have reflection questions and experiments. We have these little podcasts. We have all kinds of things. These are two of the experiments I think are worth trying this week. One, if you're not doing this, try this for one week. Just see how it works. See how it, what comes up. You spend 15 to 30 minutes each morning or sometime in the day just withdrawing. What comes up? What surfaces? What do you notice about God? And after seven days, just talk with God like, God, what, what do you have to say to me? And then if you're already doing that, you feel like I'm rocking that or you don't really want to try it and you want to try number two, do that. Take an hour. If an hour feels like, oh my gosh, I just lifted the weight of the world, start with an hour. If you can, try something like three or four. What would you do? What would you do with God? And then reflect with God after it. If you can, leave your phone. Uh, one of the things we did recently is Sprint. You can get like a, in a family plan, you can get a third phone for free. So I just have a Sabbath phone. So I don't, leave, I don't bring my actual phone. And the only person who knows the number is Jeannie and she will not tell you she's a vault. So, and I, so she's the only one who can get a hold of me. Now, the other thing is, one of the things we're trying to figure out too is how, if you have children or youth, how do we sort of start not as adults learning these practices, but as kids? So we're trying to figure out sort of an able kids rhythm for this too. Um, so this is sort of, we're going to lean into this. And if you're a parent and your kids are in uh, kids ministry, you'll get an email during the week that'll also give you some practices you can do with your kids. Uh, so this is a practice for this week, but what if you just took, you know, even, th there's one more slide. One, you know, took three to five minutes sometime this week, 10 minutes even, and just sat with your kids and just say, you know, we're going to take a little time, you know, as, you know, as people just to be with God. And we're going to spend it in silence together. You can do it in the car. You're like, I don't know how I'm going to fit that in. Do it in the car. Just make a silent car ride. You can do it at a park. And then just afterwards say, oh. Sometimes God speaks to us. Sometimes we're, when we slow down, we actually realize things about ourselves. Do you have anything to share? No pressure. And just try and see what happens. One of the things I want to do before we enter worship is just take a moment to celebrate communion together. And communion is this really special and sacred practice that Jesus gave us. It's also just a reminder of how dependent we are upon the grace of God in our everyday life. Right? When he was with his friends the night before he was betrayed, he said, took this bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body. It was broken for you. He took some wine at the table. We have grape juice. And he said, this is the blood of of the new covenant is shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. Then he invited them, right, to eat and to drink as a living reminder of how dependent we are on the grace of God. That it is not by your productivity or mine. It is not by our sense of obligation, but it is by God's grace that we experience life. 
And so before you come up this morning, I would just invite you to sit in that a little bit. Maybe even it's a time of confession for you of saying, you know, God, I've really taken on way more than I should have. And I'm going to give these things back to you. If you're celebrating communion, if, if you're uh, offering communion, I don't know, holding a bread and wine thing, if you could walk up here and grab those. And if I could have the worship team come up, that would be awesome. And so as I pray, I just invite you to just sit in God's presence and discern based on his invitation. What does it look like for you to let go into his arms at a deeper level? Lord Jesus, we, we love you and we are so grateful for your gift. And God, as we lean into Sabbath and solitude, God, we just ask that you would speak to us. Maybe even talking about this, we just feel a sense of tiredness coming over us. We just realize, man, we've been pushing so hard for so long. And God, I just pray that in this moment, by the power of your spirit, we could find rest in you. Jesus, come, show us your way. God, we are broken, limited creatures and we need, we need you. We need your grace, we need your life. Thank you, Lord.